Welcome to the Three P's of Cancer podcast, where we'll discuss prevention, preparedness, and progress in cancer treatments and research. Brought to you by the University of Michigan Rogel Cancer Center. I'm Scott Redding. We're here with Michigan medicine doctor, John Krause, medical director of the Multidisciplinary Colorectal Cancer Clinic at the Rogel Cancer Center to talk about colorectal cancer and unresectable metastatic cancer treatments. Dr. Krause has been practicing at Michigan Medicine for the past 10 years. Prior, he was the Associate Director of the Ann Arbor Community Cancer Oncology Program at St. Joseph Mercy Hospital and spent six years at the Cleveland Clinic. He has a strong focus on therapeutic clinical trials as well as programs to help improve communications with patients to make sure they are getting the best possible options for sustained quality of life and optimum care for complex conditions. His main goal is improving the lives of cancer patients. Welcome, John. Good morning, Scott. We talk about colorectal cancer, but is there a difference between colon and rectal cancer? And, and is rectal cancer the same as anal cancer? So anal cancer is a totally separate cancer and has a totally different treatment and surgery comes later. So everybody thinks about having their screening colonoscopy or some other test to screen for colon cancer. And the rectum is the last part of the colon, but there's no sharp dividing line that the person who's doing the colonoscopy can see where the rectum ends and where the uh, colon starts. So colorectal cancer is lumped as kind of one big disease, but the management of rectal cancer, the management of the last part of the colon is a lot different and requires really a multidisciplinary approach uh, from the start. So you hear stories about people that get colonoscopy and a polyp is found while they're having that colonoscopy and usually that can get taken care of at that time. Is that the same true usually that's for colon cancer. Is that the same true for, for rectal cancer? Or is if it if uh, something gets noticed towards that bottom part where it becomes rectal cancer, is that treated much differently and a different approach? Let's just break it down to several different parts. So um, recent recommendations have been maybe the screening age for colonoscopy should be a little bit younger. The younger you go with screening age, so it had been 50, should it go down to 45? The younger you go, more people will have normal colonoscopies. And there is some risk from a colonoscopy. The neat part about a colonoscopy, as you mentioned, it's diagnostic. In other words, it finds polyps and it's therapeutic. It cuts polyps off. Now, Polyps come in all shapes and sizes. Some of them are attached to a neat stalk and they just get snipped off and are easily retrieved. Some are like big flat quarters or even silver dollars stuck to the side of the colon. And if anybody's ever worked with sausage casing, you can see how thin an intestine lining is. And so cutting a silver dollar off the inside of a sausage without poking a hole in that in the colon is, is difficult. And some things are just obvious tumors to the um, person performing the colonoscopy. So if there's a, a, a tumor in there that's an inch or two inches or three inches big, that is pretty much going to be a tumor and will need to come out one way or the other. The endoscopist, the person, the gastroenterologist doing the procedure usually knows roughly where they are. In other words, they can tell, oh, I'm in the first couple of inches or I'm way at the other side of the colon. But that dividing line between that 15 to 20 centimeters into the colon where the rectum ends and the sigmoid colon begins is oftentimes not as clear. So most colonoscopies are going to be normal. 
you're just going to have a few polyps removed and they'll then send those polyps down to the lab. And if they come back totally benign, they'll say have a colonoscopy in three years, five years, or 10 years, uh, depending on your overall health status. Those ones that have more polyps will need to be checked a little bit more carefully. In other words, uh, last interval to the next colonoscopy. And then those people that have cancer will need to have some type of therapy for that cancer. Are there signs or symptoms to be aware of for rectal or colon cancer? Well, we really want to catch it when it's not causing signs and symptoms. So the patients that are the sickest will just come in with symptoms of the disease that spread to their liver or their lungs. And that indicates generally a little bit more aggressive type of cancer. They might come in with jaundice or unexplained weight loss. Um, Rectal bleeding is the most common sign of uh, colon cancer, uh, but it's very hard to distinguish uh, rectal bleeding from a tumor uh, from that from hemorrhoids. So hemorrhoidal bleeding is very common, but persistent rectal bleeding over a few days to a week probably should at least be investigated, but realizing that the vast majority of the time that will just be hemorrhoidal bleeding and then certain times it's worthwhile to pursue it further with um, a test, a flexible sigmoidoscopy or colonoscopy, something like that. So is the flexible sigmoidoscopy and the colonoscopy the uh, best ways to detect rectal and colon cancer? So they're the most uh, sensitive, but they're an invasive procedure. For the colonoscopy, the patient has to drink a prep, which totally cleans out the colon, which is not uh, very much fun. The flexible sigmoidoscopy, the, the lower part of the colon can just be cleaned out with an enema right before. Again, not maybe necessarily the most pleasant experience, but it's not drinking a one-day or a two-day prep. I'd say most providers are now going to the, just straight to the colonoscopy. Flexible sigmoidoscopy can be done in an office a little bit quicker, but the better test will be the colonoscopy. Other screening tests include more sensitive testing for uh, blood that you can't see in the stool. uh, um, And also then there's some DNA-based tests where you actually provide a stool sample in a box to a company and they tell you the risk of uh, colon cancer. If we look at rectal cancer for a minute, and you talked about there's a fine line between where the rectum and the... Large intestine. So where the so the two anatomic parts are the descending colon. This is the part that comes down Um, right to the sigmoid colon, then the sigmoid colon kind of sweeps around sigmoid for S, and then it goes into the rectum. And so in the operating room, this is not a fine line. In other words, there's an obvious um, area, but from the endoscopist standpoint, they've got a snake basically with a light on the end, and they're looking up there, and there's these three valves in the rectum, but then after that, they go into the sigmoid colon. So sometimes they'll be in the sigmoid colon, sometimes they'll be in the rectum, and the rectum's really pretty remarkable if you think about all the different things it has to do. So you're basically sitting on a valve. The valve has to be able to tell the difference between gas and liquid and solid. It has to be able to preferentially let out those things at different different times. And then it has to store the, the 
fecal matter and, until you're ready to expel it. And so to store it, it, has, it expands. And sometimes you just think of it expanding like um, the balloon that somebody might tie into a dog for your kid, just kind of going from a very tiny balloon to a very fat balloon. But it also expands going from a very short balloon to a very long balloon. And so that makes it uh, even more tricky for the person putting the uh, scope in you because sometimes that rectum, which would normally only be you know, 10 centimeters, stretches out to 15 or 20 centimeters, just as kind of, oh, that's what the rectum does. It stores poop. And if you put a scope in, sometimes it just stretches out in front of the scope. And that's the kind of tricky part. So if you're dealing with what the endoscopist tells you might be a sigmoid cancer or a rectal cancer, um, then you kind of, and this is just getting into the weeds in terms of the diagnosis, but in terms of you kind of want to make sure, is this a rectal cancer or not? And I, uh, most people won't remember coming out of their colonoscopy, they've been sedated, um, but you know they should hand you a little picture of your colon. And those cancers that are on the left side, you want to talk to them maybe later on or have your family member talk to them and say, is this a rectal cancer? Is this a sigmoid cancer? That's the key thing. Polyps doesn't matter so much. You just want to get rid of all the polyps. So if we talk about the left side there, you said that those are one we want to maybe revisit with your doctor about. And we talk about a rectal cancer and making sure it's rectal cancer. Is there a particular reason why we'd want to make sure, or is it treated different than a colon cancer would be treated? Correct. So that's the biggest reason you're going to treat it. The whole approach to treatment would be different. So a colon cancer that's right near the small intestine called a right-sided colon cancer can be treated by with surgery. And typically <clears throat> this is you know, a surgeon, a surgery performed by a skilled surgeon, of course, and they need to get the right number of lymph nodes out and perform a cancer operation. But this is a surgery that's much more straightforward and the anatomic boundaries are much more clearly defined. For a rectal cancer, the rectum lives for the most part uh, down deep in the pelvis and the anatomic boundaries are much harder to, to define for somebody who's not skilled in the art. And so the operation that's come to light over the last basically generation is something called a total mesorectal excision. Again, this is getting deep into the weeds, but a total mesorectal excision is the correct operation to perform for any cancers that hit that rectosigmoid junction or dive down into the pelvis. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One is to get good margins around the tumor. One is to get all the lymph nodes out. And, you know, I've been in practice now for a number of years and it used to be they would just do, you know, get down below the tumor and perform that anastomosis. Now, the colorectal board certified trained surgeons are doing this total mesorectal excision to get out sideways and to get those lymph nodes. More exciting than the operation, which is key, but hopefully you don't have to know about yourself, is that on a usual colon cancer that's not, an, that's not an emergency operation, you can just have the colon put back together and you don't have to have an ostomy. You might have to spend five to 10 days in the hospital, but then you go about your life and um, decide about whether you need further treatment or not. 
for rectal cancer, if it's a very low rectal cancer, you have this whole pelvic floor and the muscles that control your bowel movements. And so if it's too close to that pelvic floor, if it actually involves those muscles, then the patient's looking at potentially a permanent colostomy. And so that's obviously very intimidating for a lot of people. Most people don't know somebody with a permanent colostomy. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that people avoid screening is they don't even want to think about an ostomy. But then for rectal cancer treatment, we now over the last 10 years to five years have um, developed that some people can actually um, have techniques, in other words, chemo and chemotherapy and radiation, and potentially avoid that operation if their cancer goes away with the uh, chemo radiation and chemotherapy. How do you decide which treatment course is best for uh, a, a colon or rectal cancer patient? So the first part was that key part of defining it's a rectal cancer or colon cancer. The next part is everybody should have a CAT scan, or if they can't tolerate a CAT scan, an MRI to look for other spots of tumor. Most tumors, uh, three quarters to 90% will not have other spots. And so there'll be a lower stage, not a stage four, be in the highest stage. Even if it's stage four, we want to say, is it stage four with one or two tumors that we can potentially cut out? Or is it stage four with a hundred other tumors that we need to start with chemotherapy? So then if it's a rectal cancer, in addition to the CAT scan, in addition to the routine blood work, in addition to a general physical exam to make sure the patient's healthy enough to receive the therapies, you want to get a rectal cancer protocol MRI. And this MRI is something that our radiologists here at Michigan Medicine have just done a great job developing. CT scans are relatively simple to perform. There's not a lot of extra instruments set up between patients. MRIs are highly finely tuned. So even a good MRI machine can be off a little bit because they're, they're running liquid helium in this thing to get the, the magnet just the right way. And then we take it one extra step here. And once the patient with suspected rectal cancer or rectal sigmoid cancer gets on the machine, the radiologist then sets up custom windows for that patient to make sure that they get what's called a cross-sectional look. So that kind of like if you have a curved sausage, you don't wanna be taking crust inside of that sausage. You wanna make cross-sectional lines across that sausage to tell the stage of the tumor. So each rectal cancer protocol MRI done here is custom protocol by the radiologist to get this perfect look. And even doing all that, we then have a dedicated group of readers and we review the, all the rectal cancer, new rectal cancer diagnosis at our tumor board. And we all look at the pictures and say, oh yes, this is a less advanced T1 tumor. This is, an, this is a more advanced T3 tumor that will then require all of our therapies, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and potentially surgery. So all of those things are key to good rectal cancer treatment. And then once you have all of that decided, then along with the patient, the medical oncologist, the radiation oncologist, the surgeon, you chart a course. And so rectal cancer, the initial treatment course is, um, takes a, a fair amount of testing. In addition, just having the surgeon or having somebody that the surgeon trusts know exactly where that tumor is in the rectum 
is it relatively low down and can be felt with a, just a regular rectal exam in the clinic? Is it a little bit higher up and the surgeon should do a flexible sigmoidoscopy to make sure that they've got in their mind what type of surgery they're going to have to do? So rectal cancer treatment is its own uh, beast and you wanna make sure before you have a curative surgery that you have all this information. Do I have lymph nodes that are involved? Is the surgeon prepared to do a more extensive operation? Should the preoperative imaging be different than what they find in the operating room? And did I have the necessary chemotherapy, radiation therapy to make sure I have the highest chance of cure going forward? You've talked about a multidisciplinary team and looking at the tumors to figure out the best course of action. If we step away from the initial clinical side of things, what kind of research is happening around colon and rectal cancer? We participated with uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering and 50 um, hospitals throughout the country for this rectal cancer organ preservation. So in other words, show that patients live just as long and not everybody needs an operation. So that's really been a pivotal trial that was presented by Dr. Aguilar at our annual meeting um, last year, the American Society of Clinical Oncology meeting. The radiation oncologists are working at better ways to target the radiation. This largely happens behind the scenes in terms of uh, fancier machines that can be have more um, customization in the fields, uh, algorithms that will get better dosing to the tumor and spare the normal tissues. In terms of you know trying to develop better therapeutics, that's a whole other um, realm. So over the last five years, we've recognized that some tumors, a small percentage, maybe three to 5% of colon and rectal tumors will respond to immunotherapy. And so we're trying to then take that into earlier stages. We know that some of them will respond dramatically with stage four cancer. Will the approved immunotherapies work better for um, stage two and three. And we recently completed accrual to a study with a national organization here. And the results were presented a couple of weeks ago and said, no, immunotherapy does not add anything to standard chemo radiation. We have some other ideas of how to make it work better, but we have a lot more work to do. And then, you know, going forward, part of my work is helping um, get everybody on the same page and talking uh, between the group of, um, the best treatment for rectal cancer, but then ultimately some of those treatments will not be effective. Either the patient's cancer will be aggressive and show up at tumors in the liver or the lungs that can't be surgically removed, or they'll have initial treatment then it'll come back and won't be able to be cut out, surgically resected. So then developing uh, new therapeutics for colon and rectal cancer, trying new medications that treat the cancer at every site in the body to you know, hopefully control it, shrink it down, put the people in a long-term remission. Can we go back to rectal preservation for a minute? If uh, with this new research out, and it, you said it sounds like it's gonna be very, very promising, does this maybe uh, down the road have a chance of replacing having a permanent uh, ostomy, as you'd mentioned earlier that, that uh, some rectal patients get? Right. So the results that were presented at um, the American Society of Clinical Oncology meeting, we weren't sure which was, which was the better way to do this. Should we give the 
chemotherapy first, then the chemotherapy and radiation together. So it's a long course. It's four months of chemo, then it's uh, 25 to 28 treatments of uh, radiation, and then assess for the tumor going away completely. And the assessment has to be by looking inside with a sigmoidoscopy, looking from the outside with an MRI, and looking at the lungs and the liver with a CAT scan. Or should we do the chemo radiation first, then followed by the chemotherapy. And we showed that we were able to double the organ preservation rate. In other words, twice as many people went in if we did the chemo radiation first. And so we're looking for some tumors, maybe as many as 40 or 50% of the people will go into a complete remission after this close to eight month treatment. Now it's still relatively early days because I'll say early, we've been doing it for eight years, but we want 20, 30 year survivals. And so yes, some of the people who go into complete remission will relapse and then have to have a um, surgery later on. But the survival is exactly the same in terms of whether we do surgery now or a little bit later. And some people just aren't comfortable with getting every three to six month MRIs and getting every six month endoscopies. And they say, no, you know, I know this cancer was there. It's just going to bother me psychologically and I want to have it out. And that's a perfectly acceptable thing too. So there's what we'll call shared decision-making, looking at the patient's values, looking at the patient's general medical condition. Some patients, um, you know, those people over 80 to 85, those people with other bad medical conditions, diabetes that's uh, caused nerve damage or so forth, won't be a candidate for the most aggressive treatments. But yes, I mean, there's, that's our hope that we would be able to then eliminate surgery. We've also looked at, and this re these results are not yet released yet, not released, but not even analyzed. So in other words, we looked at for the higher rectal cancer, so those rectal cancers that are right along the junction, do they need radiation or not? And that trial's completed accrual, and within the next year or two, we should know whether radiation adds something to those higher rectal cancers. My, my dream would be to make colorectal cancer something like non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is very rare in the um, rectum, but when you see it there, if it's a B cell, the typical non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, you can just give chemotherapy, generally six doses, it goes away in a very high cure rate. We have not found the uh, secret sauce, the magic drugs that work like that. My drugs will control the disease, but generally won't make it go away, except for very rare, less than one in a hundred times. And radiation and um, chemo pills together will control the disease, but generally not make it go away. You know, the search continues for better medications. Now it is exciting times because over the last four years, there's been 30 to 40 new drug approvals in oncology. And I guess the important part to remember is even rectal cancer, we're talking about one anatomic site of the body, and even rectal adenocarcinoma is going to work out to be 50, 60, 80 different diseases. So I doubt that I'll wake up tomorrow and find in my in-basket, oh wait, somebody has discovered the new cure for rectal cancer because it's just so many different diseases. But we'll slowly pick away at this variant of it, that variant of it, as we get smarter to learn the variants. And that's been kind of the the really intellectually exciting part of being an oncologist over the last 30 years is seeing these variants being picked up, seeing real strides being made, 
Uh, they released the statistics just recently that we've made another 2% gain against cancer. Part of it's people not smoking, but part of it's real gains in, in uh, getting stage four cancers into deep remissions that eventually can be on to cures for some people. So we've talked a little bit about some of the nutrients as it relates to hopefully helping with making quality of life better, replacing some of the surgical options. Are there other new promising treatments that you see coming down or are currently out um, that are across the board for colon and rectal cancer and maybe even other uh, cancers? I know sometimes some medications and some treatment options cross over cancer types. The um, biggest thing that we haven't been able to leverage for colon and rectal cancer is immunotherapy. So this has taken melanoma, which was a largely fatal disease, and put a number of patients, maybe as many as 40 to 50% of patients into deep remissions. And us and other people across the country are working actively at trying to get ways to make immunotherapy work for colon and rectal cancer. And that will be hopefully an exciting lead, but it's taken a long time. The other way besides getting harvesting your own immune system to fight the cancer is to get at what's driving the cancer. So the really big um, home run has been, we know that chronic myelogenous leukemia, rare leukemia has one mutation that always drives this cancer called BCR for breakpoint cluster region, ABLE or Abelson virus. And so this one gene abnormally expressed causes this disease. And we've shown that imatinilotinib and disatinib will put this cancer into a deep remission. In some cases, the people can even come off the drug indicating they might be cured. And if you look at the evolution over my practice, in other words, I went in 1988 up to University of Minnesota because I, I wanted to do bone marrow transplant. Bone marrow transplant was being done for chronic myelogenous leukemia. That was the most common reason that people were in the unit there. And then all of a sudden, uh, 12 years later, we have a pill that puts people in a deep remission. A pill, that's way easier than a bone marrow transplant. That pill is proven transformative. So then, okay, okay, people are saying, well, that's just a, what we call a liquid tumor. Those have always responded better. We've cured leukemia in kids for a long time. Those are, I'll say, um, easier cancers. Of course, they're not easier for the person that has it, but that, that was the kind of the, the knock on that. And then um, people discovered these other driver mutations called NTRK1, 2, and 3. There's three versions of this gene. And they were first discovered in colon cancer cell lines, but they turn out to be not that common in colon cancer, maybe one in 500, one in 1,000. And these NTRK drugs, intractinib, is the one that we worked with here. And we've shown that with this pill, just by itself, that we can put these cancers into a deep remission. And some of these remissions are lasting for months to years after the patients come off the medication. And so maybe these patients are cured. Maybe they'll have to be retreated. It's still early times. It's not years to decades. But this is very exciting. And then recently, um, I was part of a publication that looked at the most exciting drug I've ever worked with in my career, a drug called Satoracib or AMG Amgen 510. And this drug works against the target called KRAS. KRAS is known to be a driver in, in cancer for a long time and nobody's been able to target this mutation without making the patients very sick. The company came up with a drug that targeted a specific flavor of 
uh, KRAS called KRAS-G12C. This happens in about 13% of lung cancers and 4% of colon cancers. And this drug is just simply amazing. It is um, overall very well tolerated for both lung cancers and colon cancers. We've seen some dramatic responses. The medication is not yet approved. Um, I don't have any knowledge about the approval process to keep the investigators uh, and the um, approval process separate through the company pipelines. But the results I've seen with some of my patients and the results I've seen at, uh, with lung cancer patients and the results that were published in the New England Journal of Medicine article are just really amazing. Patients tolerating this medication very well, feeling better within a few days to a few weeks coming off oxygen. Now it's not probably gonna cure uh, very many people, but to have something that works so well, to have something that people have been working on for 30 years, and we finally have a small niche in will really drive a lot more effort in this area. So I'm excited about continuing to develop this area of specifically targeted molecular agents that will knock down a tumor. Well, I really appreciate the time today. As we wrap up, is there anything that you want to make sure that the listeners walk away from this knowing that we've not covered or that they take back to make sure they have the best uh, care possible. Well, thanks Scott for the opportunity to talk today. As you can tell, I'm really passionate about providing the best cancer care possible, the best cancer care for the patients in the state of Michigan and the upper Ohio area. My key message to both healthcare providers and people who find themselves having to be patients is really knowing exactly where the tumor is before any operative approaches. In other words, making sure that it's not unexpectedly in the rectum when it was thought to be in the, in the, in the colon. I think that's the key part of this because this area, the lower pelvis, is just so difficult to operate on it's um, once you've operated on it once, the second and third operation become exponentially more difficult. We have just an absolute amazing surgical expertise here with all of our colorectal surgeons. And, um, and so I'm, you know, I'm honored to be able to work with all of them. But really the key message uh, I think is to know about before that first operation. Above and beyond that, I think, you know, being as informed as you can uh, coming into appointments, uh, making sure that you're staying generally healthy, um, walking around, that type of thing is, uh, is key to a healthy lifestyle. Great. Again, thank you very much. Okay. Thanks a lot, Scott. Thank you for listening. And tell us what you think of this podcast by rating and reviewing us. If you have suggestions for additional topics, you can send them to cancercenter at med.umich.edu or message us on Twitter at UMRogoCancer. You can continue to explore the three P's of cancer by visiting rogocancercenter.org.